Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Welcome to the More Perfect Union, the podcast that offers real debate without the hate. From the right side of the political aisle, we have DJ McGuire, a progressive conservative from Suffolk, Virginia. And from the left side of the political aisle, we have... Uh, Greg Matuzak, a common-sense liberal who, it seems, is one of seven Democrats who is not announced running for president this week, from Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> and I am Rebecca Kushmeider, a progressive feminist who definitively is not working for the Russians, from Kensington, Maryland. <laughs> definitively. Definitively. Ooh. I'm putting that out there. There is. I'm not going to... Dilly dally around that answer. Are you insulted that we asked? <laughs> Wait, did we ask? No, you didn't ask. You didn't even need to. We've been implying it for a while. Well, you know, my maiden name is Chodoff. I understand. Exactly. And I'm Kevin Kelton, a passionate moderate Democrat from Los Angeles, California. We have a favor to ask of all of you nice people out there. If you're listening to us on iTunes, don't forget to also give us a rating. We hope you'll give us the best rating, but please remember to rate us, review us, and post about our podcast on your Facebook newsfeed and in Twitter if you're there or any other social media you may use, because frankly, we'd like to have more listeners so we can all get rich and famous, and then there'd be a reason for the Russians to actually recruit Rebecca. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to get to this whole thing about that's the most insulting question I've ever been asked. We're going to get to that. But first, we want to talk tonight about something that's a little bit more optimistic, which is the outlook for the 2020 presidential election, with a lot of people throwing their proverbial hats into the ring this week. Rebecca, who are you most and least excited for this week? Oh, gosh. I'm making a pledge not to um, slam any of the candidates. That's that's my my uh, me doing my duty to the Democrats. I don't want to start doing the Republicans' work for them or the RNC's work really for them by by trashing anybody. Um, that being said, I'm not excited about Tulsi Gabbard in the same way that I am excited about some of the other candidates. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> I like how your voice went up on that one. Oh, I'm very excited. <laughs> I was going to say there. Um, but I'm super excited about Kamala Harris. I think she's got a lot going for her. She's really smart, has a very interesting perspective on um, on uh, just on society and law enforcement and all of that. I, you know, it seems like also, and this hasn't happened yet, so maybe it won't this week, but I think it will. Kirsten Gillibrand's going to jump in. And I have been all about her for the longest time because she has put so much sweat equity into reforming the military justice system so that survivors of sexual harassment and sexual assault in the military can actually get justice. And I love her. I, I think she's fantastic. And I'm even willing to forgive her for being a tobacco lawyer. 
<laughs> and, and DJ, I'm going to get to you a third, but I want to ask Greg, any thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, I, as always, I, I like to think that I'm the trendsetter. So I'm the one who, <laughs> obviously, I mean, with, with my he young... He dares to dream, people. He dares to dream. <laughs> with my young buck good looks. Um, so I, I'll tell you guys about this candidate. You guys probably don't even know about John Delaney. Um <laughs> You're still dead to me. <laughs> you guys never heard of this guy, so I will put him out. He's a he's a <laughs> congressman or something. I don't know. But I'll be the first one on this podcast to tell you about him. I think he's got a great shot if anyone ever hears of him. I hope that the listeners know that he is dripping with sarcasm when he says <laughs> Oh, that's been DJ's I'm pretty guy sure for- they're aware of that, Kevin. I'm pretty <laughs> damn sure they're aware of that. <laughs> um, but actually, I'm excited about Julian Castro. I think he's a, a great candidate for vice president, and this is a great move for him. <laughs> it is! <laughs> And I think this is a great way for him to start his vice presidential campaign. So, Oh, my God. I just about spit out my drink when you said that. <laughs> You're not wrong, Greg. That's the thing. He's there, there are a number of people running for vice president in this race, and I think Julian Castro is actually a fantastic choice for the bottom of the ticket. And I hate to say that about him because there's so much else going for him. Oh, he's wonderful. I like that phrase, there's a number of candidates who are actually running for vice president, because that number is about 17. <laughs> <laughs> there's about three people who actually think they have a shot at being president. DJ, enlighten us. Who do you like? Who do you hate? Who do you not care about? Ironically, the entrance of so many other candidates into the field led me to uh, to to reexamine and reaffirm my support for former Congressman John Delaney, despite Greg's barbs, uh, because mainly he, frankly, he remains the only candidate who su- who would support both helping the, f- the forces of freedom in Syria and supporting freer trade. None of the others at this point seem to uh, meet that bar. That's not to say that they can't, and that's not to say that I wouldn't support them as nominees. Uh, frankly, Kamala Harris has some civil liberty issues that she has to address, uh, she may very well address them. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, I'm rather confused. Uh, she's running for the Democratic nomination. I thought she would run for the Bathus Party nomination. <laughs> um, uh, Ju- Julian Castro is is interesting. He has an interesting history. He has he has experience in the federal government executive branch, and I think that is that used to be something that was important. Uh, it's really not anymore. Especially since since Watergate, voters, in fact, in nine of the la- in nine of the eleven post Watergate elections, voters have chosen the candidate with less Washington experience. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, but it's going to be an interesting and diverse field. Uh, we're going to have a lot of discussions and a lot of arguments on issues. We're also going to have a lot of Russian bots uh, throwing in on Tulsi Gabbard's side. <laughs> Poor Bernie Sanders, he won't know what to do because the Russian bots aren't supporting him anymore. Uh, he may actually choose not to run. Uh, you know, I, I have – there have been, what, now two stories about Bernie's 2016 campaign having to do with pay inequality for female staffers, having to do with, you know, sexual harassment, uh, st- staff to staff, not Bernie himself. But 
I'm I feel like the next headline we see about a scandal pertaining to his 2016 campaign is going to implicate him in some way that the the fish usually rots from the head and it, it wouldn't surprise me if Bernie even if it's something like laughing at off-color jokes or turning a blind eye to something I'm 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 a little concerned about what we're going to find out about him but I have to say I am quite sure that Natalia Veselnitskaya will be the first to defend Bernie Sanders' treatment of women. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That beat anything I was going to say. So good for you, DJ. But we all know the smart thing for Bernie Sanders at this point would be to come out and and just endorse and back a female candidate um, without a doubt and say, look, I'm very pro-women candidate and then back off. But we also all know that Bernie Sanders would never do the smart thing. In all, in all of these races, I try to judge it from just a sense of where the zeitgeist is. And I just feel it slipped away from Bernie. As you guys know, I'm on Facebook and a lot of other social media talking about this stuff all day long. And I'm just not seeing people getting excited about him. Overall, it just feels like his time has passed. So he's like the Ron Paul of this year? <laughs> Yeah, very much you know, so. That's actually a really good analogy. I second that notion. Thank you. Thank you. I had to look that up. <laughs> By the way, you know who I think might have been the most interesting person to make an announcement this week about their presidential ambitions? It might actually have been Tom Steyer, who said that he's not going to run for president. Instead, he's going to take $40 million of his money and try to match that with other rich people's money and put it all into impeaching President Trump. And I actually think that that was a very interesting development. How can private funding be used to for impeachment, though? The the ads. Oh, I suppose. The ads, just like he ads. used them to, mm-hmm. you know, Tom Steyer probably make, played a big part in the blue wave that happened in 2018 with the advertising that he did across the country. And I have a feeling that that's going to be part of his game plan uh, in 2019 and 2020. Well, you know, you know who else who's not running for president? Martin O'Malley, he sent me an email. He's not running. <laughs> oh, no. He And then he endorsed Beto O'Rourke, who so far is uh, just going to the dentist. <laughs> DJ, what were you going to say? Yeah, well, two things. First, in response to Rebecca, thank you know, Beto O'Rourke has been touring the border, and he toured his own he, – he selfied his own dentist appointment. I just hope he doesn't go for a colonoscopy on the border. That's the first <laughs> thing. The second thing is, I know, and, and no, I, I, I got that from I got that from somebody on Twitter. That I was saw not, that on that Twitter too. It's hilarious. It's uh, it's pretty funny. <laughs> so Sherrod Brown is planning on being in Iowa in the next month. Oh God, no! And and he will have my vote. But the second thing is, and this is a question, um, and you guys tell me. So, um, can we form a pack? Because I might have money. To impeach the president and try to influence Congress people to that, and maybe a little money here and a little money there. Well, the 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 answer is legally. I see what, no reason why somebody couldn't do. Yeah, that. I'll give a little money. I mean, so forty million goes a lo- long way. I mean, signs are great, but uh, here's ten thousand to your election campaign if you start the impeachment process. That's legal, right? Or is it not? There are limits to what PAGs can give to to candidates. Right. But there are no limits on third-party advertising. You could buy ads in every newspaper and every media market, and all you do is have to put in the fine print, this ad was paid for by the Greg Matuzak is the best dude ever pack. I've already got that. 
you know, and, and, but you don't, and you don't have to disclose who gave you the $40 million to the Greg Matuzak is the best dude ever pack. That's, that's where it's called dark money. We know what the pack is. We don't know who its funders are. And more to the point here, or what I think is more to the point. And first of all, thank you, Greg, because you reactivated the neuron that was drowning in blood orange vodka. Uh, <laughs> Steyer's money, Steyer's money, your money, our money, anybody's money. I could actually go to something that is a better investment than the ads, namely for the witnesses in the investigation to pay for lawyers that are not under Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump's orbit. You don't have to do a, this legal fee was paid for by Greg Matuzak's college band name, insert name here. You can just (laughs) raise the money for somebody's legal defense fund so that they can actually tell the truth about what's going on. And if Steyer actually puts some money there, it could be incredibly useful, far more useful than any ad that he decides to put on the air. Yeah, if any of you listening have a connection to Tom Steyer, post it on that Facebook page, this this podcast. Tom, <laughs> call DJ. He's a, got it's ideas. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. So in the middle of all of these people coming out running for president, one Democrat, other than Greg Matusak, who is not running for president, but still got a lot of social media play this week, was AOC. It seems now she is a force to be reckoned with in the Democratic Party. And I love the way she took down Joe Lieberman. Oh, that was that the was, best. That was classic. That was the best. <laughs> that was right up there with, you know, I don't know if any of you guys follow John Dingle on Twitter. John Dingle, he's older than God, but he's so good at Twitter. I think he once actually told Trump to delete his account or something like that. Like, you know, just like in perfect deadpan. But she's like her mastery of Twitter is Dingle-esque. And if she can also become as effective a legislator as John Dingle was throughout his career, she will be historic. I I was skeptical about her. And right now I am completely sold on her. Yeah, I want to I want to build on that. I just want to let the audience know in case they didn't catch it. So Joe Lieberman, a former senator who also ran for vice president with Al Gore in 2000 and then was considered as a possible vice presidential running mate for John McCain, was on Fox with Neil Cavuto saying some not so nice things about AOC and her her response was a tweet just that just said four words. This is what it said. New party who dis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys get the reference from the new phone, who dis, right? Yes. Oh, oh no. Oh, okay. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. New phone, who dis? Right. So if you don't want to, if you don't want to talk to someone, or and they keep calling you, you just text back, new phone, who dis, as if it's a oh, new number. Wow, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah. So you're like, I don't even recognize who you are. You're not that important to me that I've even put your name in. Who are you? New party, who dis? You're not that important to me. Gosh, I love it even more now. Isn't it? Awesome? Oh yeah, and that's why she's, it's, she's good. It's it's a and she, great... well, and she's speaking a really in, she's speaking a really interesting language. She's she's dealing in colloquialisms that have a resonance in the generations younger than the four of us, and it's <clears throat> what I'm the youngest one on this podcast. Mentally, I'm like Mentally. I'm like four she months is. younger this than is you, true. baby. Um, you know, you are the closest to a millennial me by, we like, have. A fiscal quarter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she's she, her ability to communicate in these terms. Millennials and younger are going to hear it, and they're going to feel represented. Right. You know, it, it it's a vernacular that is is the way they talk and the way they joke around. But she, there's some there there with AOC. 
any week where we are discussing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's style and not her policies is a win for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Because if we actually get to her policies, namely an income tax increase that or income tax rate that was tried in the 1970s and was part of the great inflation or a so-called green new deal that will knock the economy back 50 years while essentially killing every single person who lives in inner Mongolia from cancer. You know, those kind of things Ms. Osario Cortez does not really want to address because she doesn't know about them. So, so long as she's, we're talking about her style, she wins. And did you guys see the uh, Politico article this morning about her where it talked about how House Democrats and, and the Democratic establishment is getting a little upset with her and they were trying to straighten her out? And there were several quotes in the article from current and former Congress people trying to tell her that she doesn't understand politics and she doesn't yet understand the House and its traditions and she should really try to understand that you don't attack people on our side. You should be attacking Republicans. Well, as you guys know, I was not a fan of hers when she pulled her upset in the primaries and went on to, to win easily in New York, and I have been skeptical of her. But in this regard, I think that the establishment is missing the forest from the trees. I think she's doing exactly what she should be doing, and her greatest power is in threatening to support people who are going to primary existing, ensconced, traditional Democrats, just as she did in her upset victory over uh, Joe, what was his name? Crowley. Crowley. Yeah, Thank you, yeah, Joe right. Crowley. In the House of Representatives, there's another force to be reckoned with, and that's Steve King. Oh, gee whiz. Who is possibly one of the most foul human beings in politics, and that's yeah. saying a lot. It, yeah. If AOC um, is awesome, Steve King is the opposite of awesome. Oh, yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah, and he kind of got himself into some trouble this week. Again, I mean, this is a guy who... Would we define him as or none? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... No, we should not, DJ. No. I'm, <laughs> no. I'm vetoing that. Yeah. If you can get enough votes yeah, for an override, you can override it, but I veto. But this Just is a guy idea. who has a uh, Confederate flag on his desk proudly, and he's a representative from the the if and correct me if Iowa did fight in the Confederacy, but it did not. He's from Iowa for of all no, Iowa places. Iowa was a northern state that 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 sacrificed sacrificed a good number of, of, of young men for the Union. Right, but not well, the Confederacy. Um No. No. So this week he said, I just don't understand what's wrong with these words like white nationalism or white supremacy are why can't these are are these really that bad of words and yeah when did they go out when, of vogue yeah <laughs> the the only thing i will say on this and then i will leave the discussion to the three of you is something sure. that i have repeatedly said on facebook and twitter dot 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 and they said being a conservative Democrat would be hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I would like to think that opposition to Steve King has never been difficult. I mean, well, maybe for Republican leadership, but for the rest of the world, opposing Steve King comes naturally. Well, not for Donald Trump. Like I said, Republican leadership. No, just any Republican. Just like we said, what was Reagan's 11th law? 11th commandment. 
Thou shalt not speak ill of any fellow Republican. Exactly. Right. And so even this morning, they had, um, uh, what's his name from, uh, Texas? Senator from Texas. Help me out. He looks like, um, he looks like Anton LaVey now. Um, Wolverine. Yeah. What the hell is about that beard? Yeah. No, I say, I sent you that picture of him with the beard. I damn near shaved my beard in protest. <laughs> What the hell was that? Senator Cruz. No, yeah. Somebody, Senator Senator's Cruz. Call, someone's calling Senator Ted Cruz Wolverine because of the way his beard looks. That's awesome. <laughs> so Senator Cruz, they even asked him, and he was like, oh, that's terrible. He shouldn't say those things. Oh, that's terrible. But then they asked him, will you support him in the future? And he goes, that's terrible what he said. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> it should have been, he should step down for saying things like that. And you know what? If he was a Democrat and he said things like that, he would be out of a job. And that's the problem. Uh, Tim Scott wrote a, uh, Senator Tim Scott, who is the only, uh, African American, uh, GOP senator, wrote this great op-ed that said, you know, people think we're racist in the GOP pretty much because when this stuff happens, it's not that we're racist. It's just that we don't yell out and point and say, no, this is wrong because we're afraid of saying anything bad about our own party. Well, it goes back to what Andrew Gillum said during the the uh, governor's race in Florida. He said, it's not that I think my opponent is a racist. It's that I think the racists think he's a racist. Right. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly. Um, although, no, I think Steve King is a racist. <laughs> no, Steve, Steve King absolutely is a racist, and he's proud of it. Right. He's, you know, he's not trying to hide this, and he's trying to make racism seem acceptable to not just himself and, you know, his two best friends in Iowa, but to everyone. He, he would like to promote racism as a recognized and accepted political standpoint. Right. He wants to call that free speech. And say, like, yeah. And, and no, he would no. like to call he would he would like to call it Americanism, and that's the danger here, is that there are people who presume that Americanism and white nationalism or white separatism, whatever the hell you want to call it, are the same thing. Stephen King is one of those people. Frankly, there's no evidence. That, all the evidence points to Stephen King being one of those people, and that's the effing problem. Period. Make that it's Steve King. Stephen King is a horror writer, and he is not racist. <laughs> You're right, St- right. Oh, I thought we were talking about the other guy. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. St- no. I think Stephen King would actually come after us, probably Author, with like right. some and reincarnated he- evil pet. Yeah, he, yeah, he probably has lawyers, and I don't yeah, know I, lawyers. I'm afraid of what he could conjure out of thin air. Let's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the more perfect union. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Real debate with a lot more alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm holding up the white glove. The traffic cop is here again, giving a little (laughs) chance for um, Russia talk to to get into the the lane here. Mm. Um, So this week, boy, I loved it this morning. There were so many tweets 
that Trump tweeted out this week that I thought were classics. One of my favorites was when he said, he said, not only is there no chaos in the White House, he said, I'm pretty much the only one here. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which I loved. Wait, even was it, was today that, the day he said he hasn't left in months? Yeah. And we're like, yes. you were in Texas on Thursday, bro. <laughs> right. He hasn't left in months, but apparently Texas is part of the White House. I don't right. understand that. Yeah, the Ted Cruz wishes. And then the other the other great quote was, as we were joking around earlier, this morning he was, or last night he was interviewed by uh, Jeannie Pyro or Piru, whoever that woman is on Fox Pyro. News. And he, he, he actually, she asked him if he was a Russian plant or a Russian agent or a Russian... A Russian asset. A Russian asset. And he, he he didn't refuse. He didn't say no. He said, that is the most insulting thing anyone has ever asked me. Right. And I immediately went onto Facebook and said, let's take the whole Russian thing out of the equation. There's no way that's the most insulting thing anyone has ever asked Donald well, Trump. <laughs> I mean, seriously, this is a man who had a, a an adult film actress describe him as having Yeti pubes. So insults are not a foreign concept to this guy. Given that Donald Trump has basically injects himself with toxic masculinity every day, I would say the bigger insult was the fact that she called his penis a toadstool. <laughs> no, she called it toad. Actually, yeah. she called it a character from Mario Kart. Right, exactly. I think that's probably the biggest insult he's ever had. The point, though, is that he didn't say, you know, he called the accusation insulting. He called it the most insulting thing he said. What he didn't call it was false. Right. And, and here's the other thing. All of a sudden, the last 24 to 48 hours, the whole news media has blown up over this idea that Trump had these meetings with Putin and nobody knows what was said in them, and he confiscated the, the interpreter's notes, and he, he told the interpreter, you're not allowed to talk about this. And here's my thing. I knew that before the meeting ever happened. They told us that that was going to happen. They mm -hmm. told us it was just going to be those two and their interpreters, and that there were going to be no notes taken. They told us that the National Security Advisor was not going to be allowed in the meeting. I knew this at the time. Why is it all of a sudden a big news story? To me, it's just more of the same. Well, it's because we we are inundated with crazy every day. And, you know, and so we have to be reminded of what craziness preceded the craziness of the day. Dan Pfeiffer on Pod Save America was, you know, sort of delineating some of the, the most egregious things that have happened. And I was surprised at how many of them I had forgotten including Jared trying to set up a back channel with the Russians during inauguration week. I remember that. You know, like it, it goes back. It's it, like we, we think about it and there's just so much that it vanishes. And I, I'd forgotten the thing about the interpreter. And yeah, the interpreter is under no obligation to ever, ever share that meeting unless subpoenaed to do so. The, so. Well, if the Congress ever finds out his or her name, they can subpoena that person, and that person has to testify. Now, he may try to pull an executive privilege thing, Trump, that is. Um, I, I think that's going to be the, the next big legal battlefront. It's going to be executive privilege. We all heard last week that mm -hmm. the, the White House is gearing up with 30, 40 attorneys, and the 17. big thing they're looking into – No, they're 17 just on this one thing, but they've got – They've hired 30 or more recently. Oh, okay. And the big thing now that they're looking into is, can we stop people from testifying by claiming executive privilege? It didn't work for Nixon. It's not going to work for Trump. You cannot claim executive privilege to protect yourself from criminal conduct. 
Now, I'm there's one thing that I've been thinking about for the past two days. Now, first, let us stipulate that Harry Reid was not lying when he did this, that, that he was speaking in good faith. But in 2016, he sent a letter to James Comey asking Comey to make public a pre-existing investigation into Donald Trump's ties with Russia. So we can assume that those ties um, were things that happened before he was president, certainly, and possibly even before he was a candidate. Like, you know, we've heard these rumors for years that the Russians have been cultivating Trump for various purposes. So how does that investigation that Reid alluded to tie into what we now know about this counterintelligence investigation that was opened and maybe or maybe not also closed after he fired Comey. What is the timeline there? At what point did he go from being a guy that they thought might be an oligarch cuddler to a national security threat? And did that happen the moment he took an oath of office? That's what I was going to say. It happened at 12 noon on January 20th, 2017. (laughs) (laughs) I would say this. If if I understand the situation correctly, really, really, the FBI in 2016 looked at, okay, what is Russia trying to do to influence our democratic system? When Trump fired Comey, they went, oh, crap, maybe we have to really take a look at how much Russia has compromised Trump. And Mueller essentially took over that investigation on the orders of Rod Rosenstein. The first thing this tells us, frankly, is that Mueller is not wrapping up his investigation uh, because the counter the counter intel investigation is going to take a lot longer to sort out than these various indictments and things. I hold to my opinion that Mueller's investigation will not end until Trump is actually out of office. We'll put that to one side for the moment. The point here is that we are trying to sort out how much Russia has put its meat hooks into the American body politic. That includes how much Russia has put its meat hooks into President Trump. Mueller is still trying to sort that out. That is going to take a lot of time, and that will not be finished in 2019, because we don't know what Roger Stone knows, because Mueller hasn't indicted him yet. And I agree with Kevin that an indictment of Stone is coming. I just don't know when it's coming. We don't know how much Manafort knows, and in fact, Manafort's lawyers accidentally gave us a hint as to how much he was cooperating with Russian intelligence with the fact that Manafort, as he was Trump's campaign advisor, was handing Trump's polling information to his former colleague who was, work- who was we presume, working with Russian intelligence. Can we talk for a moment about what internal polling actually is? This is one of those things that hasn't been explained. We think of polling as, yeah, Trump's disapproval rating is at 57%. Nobody likes him, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. But internal polling, the the professional polling that campaigns hire is far more detailed. And um, people who work on campaigns will tell you that they sometimes know house by house how people are going to vote. They, They can put polls in the field that are that specific, that are that... The, the sample sizes are large enough and the, the responses they can gauge are detailed enough. You know, like the Marley Matlin character in, in the old West Wing, you know, talking about asking the right questions in the polling. So if if Manafort was sharing internal polling data, it wasn't just 
people in Wisconsin are on the cusp. It was these people in these zip codes with these other data points attached to them are on the cusp. And if you pay right. Facebook for targeted ads, you can push them across the line into Trump category. Yes. This is not generalized data. This is very, very specific data. Yes, now, yes, yes, there is yes. nothing stopping Russians from employing those pollsters all on their own. They went the cheap way and got Paul Manafort to do it for them. Right. Exactly. And, you know, to make an analogy, this is like, look, a bank was robbed. We know the bank was robbed because we have robbers on camera with guns taking money. Now we have someone who cased the joint and gave the robbers the diagrams for the bank. Was that person involved in the robbery? Hmm, let me think about it. It's so obvious. It's so obvious. I, it's hard to believe that people are even debating this. That's what we're here for. That's what people listen to us for. But it is so obvious that these people were, they were entwined with the Russians. Not just a little collusion here, a little collusion there. It was one organization. And let me say, first of all, I agree with just about everything Kevin said. What I fear, and this is the I've seen the future, but I lost my glasses moment, <laughs> is that we are going to the, – the final defense of the Trump and proletariat is going to be – there's not going to be a there was no collusion because that obviously got blown up. It's not going to be the Russians didn't want Trump to win because that's got blown up. What they're going to fall upon, and this is actually really dangerous in my opinion, is, well, you know – Vladimir Putin is really a good guy, and what Russia is doing is really helpful. So we really should be allied with Russia. So it's not really a crime because Russia are the good guys, and Europe and democracies are the bad guys. That's where we're going. That's what the Trump and proletariat will use as their last defense. We're already seeing idiots wearing shirts saying, I'd rather be Russian than Democrats. That's where they're going. That's where the Republican Party is going. And as someone who spent 25 years in the party, it really – it pains it's very me to sad. It, it pains me to sad. see it. It's painful, but that's where we're going. That's the future. As someone who was never a part of the Republican Party, it pains me to see the party going that way. Well, and it's you know, there's this brings up an interesting point. Um, I was listening to um, Benjamin Wittes from Lawfare. He he did an emergency podcast last night, and he convened a bunch of people who have worked inside the FBI to talk about it. And one of the things that one of the people was saying, I think it was Chuck Rosenberg was saying, is that the president is allowed to set foreign policy. And right now, it appears that our president is setting foreign policy that is pro-Putin and anti-NATO. And and he is completely within his rights to do that. Um, that is one. Of, that is that is what the job entails. Yes. And the fact that Putin got him the job specifically for the yeah. purpose of being pro-Putin, it's that that is the real problem here. But but let's 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 go back to their talking points right now. The talking points, once again, since I'm the only person who watches Fox News, how can I be that guy? You have more, you also are the only person who watches The View. Apparently, you just watch more TV than the rest of us. <laughs> so the point is right now their talking point is on every station on everything sarah sanders huckabee is saying if you look at obama and if you look at trump trump is much tougher on putin than obama ever was and in fact their big talking point is when obama had a hot mic he said wait till after the election and i'll be much nicer to putin no he said and i'll have more flexibility so they're saying obviously this can't be true this is, a, and of course, go ahead, someone tell me what what a bullshit excuse this is. 
But they are saying this over and over and over on Fox. I can't go 15 minutes without hearing that lie. But that's the rationale that you are hearing over and over. Not true, but you're hearing it. First of all, Greg, I appreciate the fact that you watch Fox News so the rest of us don't have to. That That's the excuse I use for reading the Daily Mail. I do it so the rest of you don't have to. <laughs> the More Perfect Union, real debate without the hate, now heard on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Celebrate Halloween with dressed up donuts from Dunkin', like the spooky sweet Halloween spider donut. Trick or treat. Aren't you a little bit old to be trick or treating? Uh, no. This is, uh, it's just a really good uh, costume. Anyway, I hear you're giving out Dunkin' Spider Donuts? Didn't I just see you with your kid? No, that was just, uh, my friend. Psst, Dad, is it working? Run to Dunkin' all month long for the Halloween Spider Donut and get 10 Munchkin's Donut Hole Treats for $2. America runs on Dunkin'. Limited time offer. Participation may vary. Okay, so what else have we, what else should we be covering? Is there anything about the shutdown that we want to say? It's now the longest shutdown in, in U.S. government history. I have a feeling we're going to smash this record. I think we're going to Michael Phelps this record. Um, <laughs> I feel like I fear right. he finally has the biggest, longest thing. Yep. Everything's the biggest and the best with him. Uh, Greg just got it. Oh, boo. That's what she boo. said. Boo. I was trying not to go that way. Uh, boo. <laughs> Look. Yeah, you're you're the classy one all of a sudden, Kevin. Yeah. I know we we've already said Yeti pubes and toad penis tonight. I feel like there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> Do we have to now ha- take an R rating because you used the word toad penis? Now the third time it's come up in this uh in this podcast. Does that push us to an R, do you think? Yes. I feel like it's an anatomical term. Back to, back to the shutdown. You know, both sides are claiming they're winning. Both sides are claiming, you know, this is a Trump show shutdown. This is the Schumer shutdown. The polling is obviously with the Democrats. But once again, Trump doesn't care about polling. Trump only cares about his base. So what does he care? You know, and there's no empathy in the majority. One, uh, there was a White House, um, executive uh someone who said it's like they're on a vacation right now and they'll all get back pay so this is great this is they're just having a grand old time this is really working out best for everybody and every week they come out with the worst worst things but once again the white house doesn't care because they just care about their base and i've talked to their base let me take issue with that greg because this morning, uh, CNN and I think also WAPO uh, and ABC News, there were two different polls that came out. And I believe they both showed that among the core constituency of the Trump base, which is non-college-educated white males, he is now underwater for the first time. He's always dominated that demographic in all polling about what kind of a job he's doing or how good a president he is. Usually he gets 57 to 60% approval in that demographic. In this week's polling, the, the, the results that came out today, he's underwater. He, mm-hmm. It was like 47% approve, 49% disapprove. So I think that those polling numbers actually are being looked at 
and are registering at the White House. And just as an addendum, I have to say that what I said now, I said this morning over breakfast to Jessica, and she said, I think you're practicing for the show tonight. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Jesse, you were right. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I do that. I do that too. I made a. I, I called Senator Cruz. I was like, he looks like Anton Levay, <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, I do." And then he went and looked up Anton Levay. <laughs> you know, and it, it, what what they were saying about you know this is what the thing about furloughed workers. This is instead of vacation time. It's not like they get to go on vacation right now. I'm surrounded by furloughed workers. I assure you, they're not vacationing. Mm-hmm. Their, you know, their kids still have school. Right now, we're buried under nearly a foot of snow, and, and schools have just been canceled. Actually, it is, and you know, I'm hearing stories about my friends calling their bank to get forbearance on their mortgage for a couple of months. I know that the before and after care childcare provider that contracts with 20 schools in my county is allowing furloughed employees to defer payments. That's going to be a major revenue stream for a small local business. I know my hairstylist is offering free blowouts just to give something give give furloughed employees something to do. This is affecting an entire region of the country and this is just my region. If you're in an area with a significant coast guard presence, if you are in an area with federal research facilities, it's happening all over the country right now that there are people who are not getting their paychecks and they still have bills coming due and it's not like they're able to take a trip to the beach and just chill out. Yes, but that assumes that the people that you're trying to to move the people who you're trying to sway their opinion have compassion and empathy and they don't well that was depressing but it's true but it wasn't wrong base as we're talking about do you think they care that uh, people in washington dc or for that matter in washington state might not be getting a paycheck for a couple of weeks they don't care I, mean, I feel like they, they should care that secret service and and coast guard they and border security less. They just want their wall. They just want liberals to be shot down, not literally shot down, but, you know, put down. They just want to win the political argument and get their wall and keep brown people out of the country. That's all they care about. Yeah, I, I actually I actually put I actually put a meme on this. It was it was a Putin meme where he's, you know, doing his little press conference thing. And I literally put up congratulations on owning the libs. Don't forget to send the mortgage payments. Um, this that that's all these people care about. They have they have convinced themselves that their political opponents are the enemy. Uh, Donald Trump actually said that the Chinese Communist Party was more honorable than the Democratic Party. That's where we are. Uh, that's where he is, and that's where his voters are. So you know we are dealing with a a, a large group of people, and there are a majority of Republicans, sadly. Uh, who really don't care so long as their political opponents are getting hurt, so long as they get their, so long as, um, so long as they can, um, so long as they get their, their pound of flesh, uh, they really don't care anymore. And I don't really know how to address that. Yeah. I mean, spite is just not a good political philosophy. It works. It works so well in the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it, weirdly, it's a very good electoral strategy, ginning up people's spite. That'll motivate people, but it's a bad political philosophy. It, it you know, you can't govern on spite. You can try, but I mean, okay. we're about to have a recession because of it. Schadenfreude is a German term. I would remind you that Germany has only existed for 125 years, and for most of it, it's been thoroughly dysfunctional. <laughs> Schadenfreude. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. So we're in this shutdown. It's it's now the longest in history. Uh, Trump has not so far declared a state of emergency because obviously his lawyers and other you know know it alls in the White House have told him it ain't going to hold up in court. So where do we go from here? I mean, who is going to bend? As you guys famously know, or know, I famously predicted in December that this was going to be a long. Uh, shut down, and that ultimately the Democrats were going to have to give Trump something, and he was going to claim victory. W- what do you think? Have we gotten any closer to that? Yeah, actually, Senator Graham, who's who I think is awesome. No, you don't. I do. <laughs> I do. I keep every week I talk about how awesome it is. Came out and said, President might as well declare a state of emergency, and we've talked about this on the show. He's going to declare a state of emergency. He's going to open up the government. It's going to be shut down. Then he's going to say, "Well, I tried, but it was the it was the darn court. It was the darn Democrats. It was even those Republicans who just didn't believe enough. They didn't clap enough, and that's why Tinkerbell died. It's going to be everyone but him because he did everything, even things that were illegal, to save his country, and then everything went back, and he didn't get his wall." And and that's what Graham wants. He's like, we might as well get get along with the show. Except I'm not doing the accent right. We might as well no, just not. get along with the show. I'm not. I'm doing it terrible. So actually, Lindsey Graham apparently came out this morning and now has a new suggestion, which is which is not the shutdown, or rather not the uh, state of emergency, but rather that Trump should agree to reopen the government short term and allow the congressional negotiators to negotiate out a solution. He had some other bits and pieces that he wanted to throw into the mix, but apparently he's now kind of softening on the hardline stand. I want to change my answer to what he just said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing about a state of emergency. Somebody pointed this out to me this week, that you can't just declare it because you feel like it. You have to be able to cite chapter and verse Um, something in the U.S. Code of Law. So the state of emergency has to affect something real. And finding that would be dubious at best because um, a border crisis that at at a steady state border that's been like this for years isn't actually an emergency from a statutory sense. The other thing that scares me about this and also makes me makes me think that this is why the White House is hesitating, it will get tied up in court. And unless you can really cherry pick your venue and cherry pick your judge, there are very few judges who want to set the precedent of giving a unitary executive the power to declare emergency on a whim on grounds that cannot be significantly supported with U.S. law. That is a dangerous precedent to set. There aren't a lot of judges who want to set that precedent. I don't think any of them are named John Roberts. So <laughs> the, the, everyone at the White House knows this, and they because they won't be the ones selecting where the lawsuit takes place, they can't control that outcome. So what happens with the Democrats when the Democrats get the in 2020 and they go, you know what we have here? We have a gun crisis in America. Exactly. And you know, we have climate control crisis. And you know what else we have? We have we have a we have a white supremacist crisis we have a healthcare state of emergency yeah we have people wearing crocs with socks in public crisis (laughs) we do not we have a fashion crisis you know i mean yeah 
And that is the federal judiciary does not want to make that something that is acceptable to do. And with good reason, I don't want to make it acceptable. I think we have a gun crisis, but I don't want, I, I, you no, know, I don't want martial law solved. imposed because of it. No, no, I don't want people going door to door saying it's it's a crisis. Hand over your guns. That's not how this gets solved. The, the, this is this is an Article Forty Eight moment. And for those who have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, which is probably everybody, what the hell are you talking about? Thank you, Greg. <laughs> Article 48 was the article of the Weimar Weimar Constitution that allowed the prime minister or the president of Germany to impose whatever order he wanted if he couldn't get a bill through parliament. Karl Brunig imposed it all the time when he was chancellor of Germany, and it established the precedent for one Adolf Hitler when he became chancellor of Germany in 1933. This is our moment. If Donald Trump can get away with declaring an emergency about the border wall, that is really not effective anyway. Then I call it the notional emergency for anyone interested. That will allow any president to declare any emergency whenever they want. And it effectively means, and forgive me if I sound overly uh, dramatic here, but while I've had quite a bit of vodka, it would essentially mean the end of legislative government in the United States because the president could declare whatever emergency he he or she wanted. And then he or she or they could basically impose whatever executive power they wanted. And it doesn't really matter what the hell Congress wants because, hey, it's an emergency. This is the tipping point. This is the tipping point between democratic government and tyrannical government. And I fear that the Republican Party has decided it doesn't matter if we tip over into full tyranny so long as the tyrant is a member of our party. And it just upsets me. Well, first of all, I totally agree with what you just said. I think it's an interesting sentiment to end on. And I am going to declare an MPU editing state of emergency because I'm now looking at about a 20-hour edit on this show. (laughs) Sorry, man. (laughs) And I am going to step in and build a wall between the podcast and our closing credits. We want to thank everybody for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at hashtag MPU Podcast and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. And as we implored you toward the beginning of this podcast, please share our link on your social media and Facebook, on Twitter, and in other places. And bring more people into the fold because we want this party to get bigger and stronger. And, of course, I'm talking about the MPU party, of which Greg is going to be running for president pretty soon. And... <laughs> If you, I don't know what I'm talking about at this point. And if you, uh, if you like the debate that we just had, God knows there's something wrong with you. But uh, <laughs> if you do enjoy this and you'd like more of it between shows, you can get, you can be in the debate. You can be a part of the debate. You can tell us all why we're wrong by joining Open Fire Politics. It's a political debate group on Facebook. We're all there during the week. We'd love to see you there too, telling us why you're right, we're wrong. And why and why DJ's German is 100% better than it was at the beginning of the show. <laughs> I was going to tell you what I was going to do this weekend. I, I was going I was going to dye my beard to look like Ted Cruz so I so I could scare all the kids in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs>
holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!